Let's let that choir know one more time how much you appreciate uh, all that they have done and preparation for this. And what a great way to, to start off this, uh, this holy week. And, you know, that's, that has uh, traditionally uh, been what these days have been called, beginning with Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday kind of marks the start of uh, what's uh, traditionally been called Holy Week. Uh, holy Week has kind of started uh, many, many centuries ago now as, as pilgrims kind of began to make their way to Jerusalem, and they had kind of a, a desire to kind of recreate, kind of walk in the, in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus, particularly in some of those uh, last uh, days uh, of his life uh, there in Jerusalem. And there has kind of come to emerge kind of five days that make up a Holy Week. Palm Sunday, which today reminds us of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Uh, and then Monday, Thursday, Monday, the word coming from the Latin word for command as Jesus met with his disciples in that upper room. And he said, a new commandment I give to you that you love love one another. And it was in that context that he washed their feet and he instituted what we've come to know as the Lord's Supper. Some of you may have come from traditions that use the terminology communion or Eucharist uh, more along the way. And in actually just a few minutes, we'll be celebrating and remembering the bread and the cup ourselves as part of this celebration. Then there's Good Friday, uh, the day that Jesus Christ was uh, crucified, uh, followed by what's com 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 become known as a Holy Saturday. And then, of course, Easter Sunday, the, the Sunday where we celebrate as we'll come together next week, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, God's, the Father's validation on everything that Jesus said and taught, that victory that was won uh, over even death itself. And so all of those kind of components make up uh, this thing called Holy Week, a week where folks have traditionally, followers of Christ have traditionally focused on what's been called the passion of the Christ or the, the suffering of Christ. And that certainly reached its, its pinnacle in the, at the cross. And so what we wanted to do this morning, before we take the bread and the cup, in the context of this, this worship that the choir's already led us in, is just take a few moments and reflect on and remember the cross of Jesus Christ. And, you know, at the cross, what, what we see is that God the Father, through the Son, paying the highest price possible to offer us the greatest gift possible. That, that's what that, that moment is about. Uh, the, paying the highest price. He, he gave his life. He took on all of that sin, paying the highest price possible so that he could offer to us the greatest gift. Gift of forgiveness, gift of hope, gift of restoration, gift of life abundant and eternal in Jesus Christ. All of that is represented in the gift of the cross. And yet you can remember the cross and not really understand the cross. There are folks that may look back and they may have some recollection of some historical events associated with the cross or may see it as a kind of a symbol of religion, but not really understand the significance of the cross. And so what I wanted us to do is just take just a very few moments this morning and just to make sure that we are remembering the cross in the right way. And in order to remember the cross, we need to understand it and understand the death of Christ on the cross. I need to 
to understand four things. The first thing is I need to understand my condition. I need to understand my condition. When we look at the cross and we remember the events of Holy Week, what we have to remember is the condition that we brought to the table that made necessary the cross of Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Since the rebellion of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, every one of us who have followed in their their footsteps, we've all chosen our way instead of God's way in, in, in things big and small. And we have, instead of honoring uh, the glory of God, have diminished and taken away from and and ignored the glory of God. And what the Bible says to us is because of that, because of that, my payday, my just desserts, if you will, what I have earned for that is death. The wages of sin is death. That that my condition is death. It is a physical death that I am headed toward, uh, a separation of body and soul, but even more than that, a spiritual death in which I now stand apart from Christ, a separation of God, uh, from God now and for all eternity. That is my default position since the Garden of Eden. Paul summarized it with these words as he wrote to the Ephesians, and you were dead. And the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. My default position was that God in perfect justice was, would have poured out his wrath upon me. That is what my sin, that is what my rebellion earned and deserved. That was fair. That was just. That's my default condition. And my default condition made necessary God's intervention, that God intervened. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Paul is writing about that intervention, and he sums it up in verse 21, the last verse in chapter 5. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God saw my condition. God intervened. He intervened by sending his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh who dwelt among us, who lived the life that we were called to live, a life of perfect love and perfect obedience to the heavenly father. And he brought that life without sin to the cross. And he took my sin, my debt, my penalty, the justice that I deserved was poured out on him so that he could offer to us and exchange his righteousness, his right living, his right love, his right standing before the Father, so that he offers to us this incredible exchange. I'll take your sin. I'll take the wrath of God against sin, and I'll offer to you my righteousness in its place so that you can be restored to a right relationship with God. That's why we love verses like John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have 
eternal life. This incredible offer that God intervened by giving his son. Next week, Easter Sunday, going to be talking about what this verse. going to be talking about genuine faith. What does it really look like to have genuine faith instead of kind of a fake or a manufactured version of that along the way? I encourage you to be here to invite somebody to join you in that. God's intervention is throughout the New Testament. Peter put it this way, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He he intervened. He suffered so that he could bring us to God. If I'm going to understand the cross, I have to understand my condition, but I have to come and, and be overwhelmed by God's intervention. But that leads me to an understanding of my choice of my choice, that, that the cross and God's intervention is there, but it only becomes operative in my life personally by a choice. The benefits purchased by the death of Christ belong to those who repent and trust in him. That was the message of the New Testament church. That was the message that they were entrusted and commissioned with. Repent, therefore, first sermons. (laughs) Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that there has to be a a, a response. There has to be a turning. This repentance is is a change of mind. It leads to a change of direction, a change of heart, so that no longer am I going to walk in in my ways. No longer am I going to be walking away from God. No longer am I going to demand my right to rule my own life. But I turn and I turn and I I trust myself to him. I, I, I recognize I don't bring any merit to the table. I bring a default condition where I deserve God's wrath. And I come to him and say, there's nothing I can do to rescue myself, but I'm going to trust that what you did for me, I couldn't do for myself. I turn from trusting in myself to trusting you. I turn from leading my own life apart from you to rightfully submitting to your lordship, your leadership in my life. And the promise of scripture is when I respond in that way for everyone, Everyone, regardless of your background, regardless of of the mess that you bring to the table, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can experience God's intervention in your life. And as I think about this in the context of this holy week, I think about those three crosses, those three crosses of Calvary. And I think those crosses, in some sense, represent the story and our response to the story. The center cross is the one on which Jesus hung. We might call that the cross of redemption. On that cross, the one who was without sin went to the cross to take on my sin, to, to carry that weight, to absorb God's wrath so that he could offer to us redemption, a renewed relationship with God, rescue along the way. But there were two thieves who also hung on Calvary that day, and those crosses represent our response or our choices. On one side was a thief, 
a thief who responded with mocking toward Jesus. If you're who you claim to be, why don't you come down off that cross and, and by the way, take us with you, rescue us with you along the way. You might call that the cross of rebellion or the cross of rejection. Even, even in his desperation, instead of recognizing what was happening right beside him, he, he, he mocked, he, he still denied his, that this Jesus could do anything for him. His heart remained hardened toward the gift of God. There are people who will hear of the cross, people who will be exposed to the good news of the gospel, who will still choose to live in rebellion, still choose the pathway of rejection. Maybe they'll choose that very actively. Maybe they'll do it kind of passively. It's just, I'm too busy. I don't want to be bothered with it. I'm kind of doing my life. I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. And they ignore him. But regardless of how they do it, the end is rebellion. The end is a rejection of the cross of Jesus. Jesus Christ. But there was one more cross on Calvary's hill, and we might call that the cross of repentance. The cross of repentance, because another thief hung there with Jesus that day. And instead of mocking, he, he heard the mocking of the other one. He said, don't you, don't you recognize what's going on? We're here because we deserve it. But he's done nothing to deserve this. And then he turned in and, and, and his hopeless and helpless condition. I mean, there was nothing he could offer to Jesus. He's hanging on a cross. He's just hours away from dying himself. There's nothing he could do to earn God's love or God's forgiveness. And that's the the position we each have to get to to recognize there's nothing that I bring to the table except my default condition of my sin and in that helplessness he cried out to Jesus remember me remember me when you come into your kingdom and Jesus in an act of mercy and an act of grace that he wants to extend to us said today today you will be with me in paradise it wasn't because he was religious. It wasn't because he had more good deeds than bad deeds. He was hopeless and helpless. He was just recognized it because he was hanging on a cross. And he cried out in faith. That's the response of repentance and trust. That's when the cross becomes operative in my life, when I respond with repentance and trust. If I'm going to understand the cross, I need to understand my condition, which necessitated the cross. I need to understand God's loving intervention, what he did for me that I could not do for myself. But I also have to recognize I have a choice. How am I going to respond to that cross? But if I have responded to the cross with repentance and trust, then I also need to understand in light of the cross, I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility and that's what Paul is talking about here in this context of 2 Corinthians 5. In 2 Corinthians 5, he begins the chapter talking about our, our heavenly dwelling and all the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And then he talks about kind of the, what does that necessitate? What does that mean when I come to faith in Christ? It means, among other things, I have a responsibility. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. 
Some of your translations may say the love of Christ compels us, controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, that you have been made brand new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If I am in Jesus Christ, Paul reminds us, I am a new creation. The old is gone. The sin no longer dominates my life. I am no longer under the dominion of sin. I am a new creation with a new future, a new hope, a new purpose, a new direction along the way. And out of that, I have a responsibility. I am now a representative of Jesus Christ. His love is to compel me. His love is to control me. That I I am to represent him as surely as an ambassador may represent a king or a nation. I now represent a king. I now represent the heavenly kingdom. I am an ambassador for Christ, commissioned, called, anointed for a purpose. Jesus in his post-resurrection appearances spoke of that calling and commissioning. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. That every follower of Christ has a responsibility, a, a holy calling, an incredible privilege of representing the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, of being his representative in the circles in which we travel, uh, whether that's social circles or work circles or neighborhoods or where, uh, wherever it may be, that the, the, I carry Jesus Christ with me. Jesus, again, in his post-resurrection commissioning said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. What Jesus said, as surely as I was sent, as surely as I was sent from the Father to the cross, I am sending you. I am sending you as my ambassadors. I am sending you as my representatives. I am sending you with the one and only message that can change someone's eternity. And that is the message of Jesus Christ. Every follower of Jesus Christ has that responsibility, that privilege that calling, an anointing for that assignment. All of that is what helps me to understand the cross. I brought to it a condition. I'm in debt. I'm in need. I'm helpless and hopeless. But God in love intervened. 
He intervened by sending Jesus to do what I could not do for myself as he took my sin upon him on that cross so that he could offer to me forgiveness, so that he could give to me new life, new purpose, new meaning. I have a choice to make. I'll respond either in repentance and faith and trust or in rebellion or rejection. And how I respond determines whether the cross becomes operative in my life or not. But if I am in Jesus Christ, if I have responded to him in repentance and faith, then inherent in that new life is a new calling that I am to represent the King of kings and Lord of lords as his ambassador, as one of his sent ones. He has you here for a purpose. It's not an accident that you live in this day and age. It's not an accident that you live where you, where you live and work where you work and travel in the social circles you travel in. He has you there to represent the king. All of that is inherent in remembering the cross of Jesus Christ. A couple of centuries ago now, a man by the name of Isaac Watts was preparing for the Lord's table, preparing for a communion service. And as he was preparing and reflecting, he, he wrote, he wrote a, a song, a song that was originally entitled, if I can get this right, The Crucifixion to the World by the Cross of Christ. It was mixed, met with some mixed reviews initially. Isaac Watts would write over 600 hymns. He is known as the father of English hymnody today. But perhaps none of his hymns is as well-known and in some ways as powerful as this one. We don't know it by that old name. We perhaps are more familiar with the name that you would find in most hymnals of our era. When I survey the wondrous cross. Let me just share with you the words of Isaac Watts because I think in many ways they summarize what it means to remember the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose? so rich a crown. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing. Didn't you just hear the choir sing, I'm amazed that he loves me. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's what it means to remember the cross, to be so overwhelmed, so amazed at his love. You look at that blood, you look at that crown of thorns, and you're amazed that he has loved you so much, that he did for you what you could have never done for yourself. And the response to that amazing divine love is to give him my soul, my life, my all. 
I'm just going to ask you, if you would, just to bow your heads with me. And as we take just a moment to prepare ourselves to receive the elements of communion, but to remember and to reflect on the cross. Father, thank you. Thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the love that is represented there. Father, love so amazing, so divine. And Father, I just pray right now, knowing that perhaps in this room, there are those who, who maybe, maybe ha- have not had any inkling of all that was involved in the cross of Jesus Christ. Maybe they just thought it was a religious symbol, but Father, today, today you have arrested them. Today you are grabbing their heart and their mind and you're calling them to yourself. And Father, I just pray, I pray that today would be the day of rescue. Today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day of redemption. Today, Lord, I pray that you would just call them to repentance and call them to a genuine faith and trust in you. Lord, let today be the day when they experience for themselves the power of the cross of Jesus Christ to forgive sin, to restore new life in them. Father, let today be the day of salvation. Even as, Father, we're seated before you, just hear the cry of their heart out to you. Father, I pray for those who name the name of Jesus Christ in this place right now. Father, I pray that even as we reflect on the cross, even in just a moment as we take up the bread and the cup, you would just over Overwhelm us again with amazement at your love, at your provision, at your grace. Lord, that we would respond to that love with our soul, with our all life, with our all. That we would truly give all of it to you anew and afresh today. And I'm just going to invite you now just to continue in that attitude of prayer.